right behind her. She will block my way. Hello and welcome back to Still Watching, the television podcast from Vanity Fair. We cover entire seasons of the hottest shows on TV, and right now we are diving deep into House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel series on HBO. I'm Josh Wiggler, and here to discuss House of the Dragon episode eight, it's Richard Lawson. Richard, let's we gotta wag our tongues and talk House of the Dragon this week. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of tongue wagging to be done. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot, a lot of kids to sort out. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, uh, new actors yet again. Uh, those poor other kids only got a really short time on the show. It was brief. Uh, it was yeah, brief. Yeah, uh, but but yeah. impactful. Uh, yes, uh, we we are cycling through actors very quickly on this show. Uh, but certainly, uh, Amon himself made a made a real impression uh, last week. But we've got a whole new crop of actors playing these characters as uh, we have time jumped. Yet again, stop us if you've heard this one. It appears we are six years beyond Driftmark at this point. Um, is your nose starting to bleed, Richard? Are we playing by the lost rules here? Are we just ba- Do we need to get some sort of frozen donkey wheel back on its hinge in order to stop all of this? Uh, yeah, I didn't really like the polar bear in this, in this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I, I can kind of foresee some backlash against an, yet another time jump but i kind of like that it's experimenting with like novelistic dimensions you know yes. like decades spanning kind of narrative you do wonder like okay if they're jumping this many decades in the first season we're not even you know we still have a couple episodes left what is the next season going to look like will it will it slow down will it kind of take on the same shape like how far are we going to go into this this stuff um in, into these many years to come before daenerys arrives uh so i'm, I'm curious about it but like I, I don't know. I like kind of filling in the blanks about what happened in, in the spaces between. You, you know. like you like that being left to us, the, yeah. the viewer, rather than seeing that. Unless there's like big stuff that, you know, from the book that is like really worthy of being on film and that now isn't because they've skipped over it. I sure. think otherwise it feels like I like, you know, this is kind of how like normal life works is that you have big moments every couple of years and then there's a lot of just sort of regular life in between. Yeah, I think that there's definitely, you know, there's material that's left on the floor that I would love to have seen. But I think you could say that about almost any adaptation anyway. Um, And I think especially with the book that is being adapted, it's less the book that's being adapted and more a period of fake history that's being adapted. And so I do think we're getting the relevant bits. You know, I could complain about certain things um, here and there. But by and large, I do think we're getting served the most important stuff. Um, and this was a, a really important jump into the future because somehow, some way, Viserys Targaryen has held on all these years. And maybe, Richard, just maybe, he is letting go by the end of this episode. At the very least, he is acknowledging the inevitability of his looming demise uh, during that feast uh, where we get the strong toast and everything is peaceful until it very much is not. Um, what did you? What was your sort of vibe? I'm trying to be careful around this. What was your vibe about Viserys in this episode and the way that the episode was sort of structuring Patty Considine's place in the proceedings? Well, I mean, hard to watch. You know, anytime there's a character who's in such physical torment or, you know, with a hacking cough or in this case, yeah. half rotted face, you know, and also, you know, probably a cough. Um, it's it's tough and like you know i'm sure that patty constantine like that's a big acting challenge to sort of sell that credibly and i think he does um 
I think there is something potent and almost poignant about like Viserys's, you know, survival well past what we thought it was going to be, and probably what people around him in the show think it's thought it was going to be. Yeah, in that like all of these characters have had a sort of delayed you know the, the, the delayed moment where they're, they're going to kind of spring into action you know because right. presumably all of this is really going to get going once Viserys dies and R- Rhaenyra tries to take possession of the throne and then everyone challenges it and everyone's been waiting about that for that for like 15 years now longer you know and I think there's something kind of interesting about these characters you know Viserys's offspring grandkids children other relatives kind of having waited in anticipation for so long that that's just become life and now they're finally, finally, way past where they thought it was going to be, confronted with, like, okay, now things are moving. And I thought that was an interesting way to position this season, and we only have two more episodes left, that, like, this is kind of about a lead-up to, it's not about the actual, necessarily, the, uh, the events themselves, right. I guess. I think it's a really instructive episodes, uh, episode in a lot of ways. I think one of the ways in which it's an instructive episode is it's, you know, we're using this matter of who will succeed Corliss Valerian as the Lord of the Tides should it come to pass that he does not survive his injury we hear about, we do not see. Um, this is a great way of sort of, you know, playing out what this drama could look like if there is this question of who is going to be the ruler of Westeros, uh, who is going to be sitting on the Iron Throne once Viserys is gone. And then the other way in which it's instructive is beyond settling this matter of who will sit on the Driftwood throne. uh, It is really quite literally what will happen when Viserys Targaryen leaves the room, right? Right. You know, he's in the room. He's in control over this, uh, this last supper of sorts, I think is a, is a, an easy analog for, for how this is, is laid out. Um, What happens when he leaves any fragile piece? Is that going to last or is someone like an Aemon to Targaryen just going to say the wrong quip at the wrong time and break that piece? So I think that there are a lot of ways in which this episode feels like the stakes that we know exist and have been warned about for so long, from Otto Hightower to everyone in between, um, that we are now seeing like what this might look like and that it feels really imminent. And I know we've said that a bunch, you know, and I know that the show has sort of positioned us. Uh, you know, when we when we moved on from from young Rhaenyra and young Alicent deeper into the future that, oh, my God, I can't believe this is all still going on. But it really looks like we are on the precipice of this thing popping off by the yeah. end of this episode. And I think we're finding characters. I mean, at least Alicent and Rhaenyra sad about that, you know, yes. because right. as much as there's been tension between their families and, as, you know, violent at times tensions. I think they maybe were kind of hoping that like the shoe would never drop, you know, because it hadn't dropped for so long and they got complacent. And and you see, on I think, you know, both great performances, um, you know, you see on their faces like this kind of sudden like return to dread that they haven't maybe felt in, as powerfully in, in many years. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's that's really well synthesized in this episode and also gives us a lot of, um, you know, sort of thematic satisfaction i think to what we've watched thus far like like yeah. this show was actually really was about these people this season anyway um it was about the throne and the succession and all that but really it was about kind of spending time with people in this sort of liminal state yeah because i mean if we're gonna get into a you know a big war heavy storyline i think you do want to be invested in who's yeah. on either side of the aisle and you can talk all you want and i think people would you know i, I it would be you know probably something that's you know worth a conversation about of have we spent too much time in in this lead up in this build up 
Or is it the exact right amount of time to get you as nervous as these characters? Uh, you know, I mean, it's taking longer for us uh, than we expected. Imagine living in their shoes, uh, in Allison and Rhaenyra's shoes. So I feel like art imitating life or life imitating art in, in that sense. We'll talk about it all. It's the Lord of the Tides, Episode 8. We are going to recap it scene by scene. Of course, we would love to hear feedback from all of you as well. If you want to write in, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Send it in, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. We will dissect the Lord of the Tides right after this quick break. All right, Richard, we are in it now. House of the Dragon, Episode 8, The Lord of the Tides, directed by Gita V. Patel, written by Eileen Shim. And we begin you know, physically where we left off. Uh, but six years down the line, as we are once again at Driftmark, and we are hearing about an off-screen injury. Uh, Rainies and Corleys have been uh, estranged from one another for some time. It seems like the ways that they have dealt with the apparent death of their son so quickly after the actual death of their daughter, they are processing it different, differently. The sea snake has gone back to war and Rainies is sitting on the Driftwood throne. And during this period of war, the Sea Snake has suffered some sort of grievous injury, Richard. Uh, mm-hmm. Stabbed in the neck. He has a fever. He's on his way. But everyone's wondering, are we actually going to see the Sea Snake? Or are we just going to greet an empty ship when it comes into port? Yes, which, you know, I think this episode doesn't... It, it, there's no like title card that says six years later, you know, like it's it's it, it, it kind of fools you into thinking we're picking up right where we ended. Uh, and then through context clues, we have to understand. And I think it's a really interesting choice to have this major character have this big off screen thing happen, um, uh, you know, fate unknown, um, because, you know, I guess it I don't know, it kind of helps further uh, illustrate how precarious all of this stuff is. And like, there is stuff happening outside of these castles that have, you know, major impacts on, on these people's lives. And um, I don't know, I'm curious because aren't we sort of supposed to think that this guy's getting a spinoff? <laughs> so like, yeah, right. <laughs> what does that mean? Is it a prequel? Is it about this advent, this misadventure that ends in injury? I don't know. Yeah. So I, I believe that the, the common thinking is the sea snake show would be the adventures of uh, the young sea snake. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, the the young Indiana Jones of it all. Uh, so we would we would see his exploits as he has traveled far and wide, uh, you know, further than any known man in uh, in the world of ice and fire all the way to a shy and beyond, maybe. Uh, so I think we would see a lot of his his um, his voyages through through that show. I've wondered um, I don't remember if we talked about this last week. But with Lanor being left alive, you know, could there be some sort of uh, secret Lanor spinoff? I think would be would be pretty fun, or some way to maybe you know, uh, you know, tell a story across two points in time. I think could be could be fun. Um, but as far as we know, uh, it is sort of like that Avengers Endgame thing where you're like, but Black Widow's coming out; she's gonna be fine. And then it's like, right. um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, we could be in a, a similar situation with the seasoning. Yeah, and you know, depending on what he what happens to him in this show's world, like, I don't know, there's something about the sort of the Lord of the Tides. It's sort of like, you know, there's inevitable ebb and flow and, you know, high and low. And, and I just think it's, there's something kind of poetic about him off screen on yet another one of his sea skirmishes. You know, it finally caught up with him, you know, like he, he it's sort of a testament to his sort of stubborn nature um, that he would be back at it yet again. And finally, you know, um, he doesn't win. Right. That being said, I think it would be pretty disappointing if uh, Steve Toussaint just kind of left the show. 
Uh, oh, I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. Some yeah. sort of resolution there. Yeah. 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 Uh, so if, if someone out there is like, I'd be really frustrated about that. I'm right there with you. I would be frustrated as well. I think we're going to be okay. I yeah. think we're I think we'll have a little more to do in that storyline. Um, we will not have more to do with his brother uh, by the end of this episode, but it is a big one for Vaymond Valerian, who is taking the news of his brother's uh, potentially fatal wound as a signal to start making some moves of his own. And this was seeded at least as far back as last week, Richard, when he was giving the eulogy for Lena and talking about how the, the blood of House Valerian, uh, the true blood of House Valerian runs deep as he's just eyeing Rhaenyra and the kids. And he's really all about that this time around. He's telling Rhaenys that he should be the one to step up. Uh, Luke Valerian, he is the, the second son of Rhaenyra and Laenor, ostensibly. Uh, and he is supposed to take the Driftwood throne. But Vaemon is saying that this should not be a matter of uh, the history books, which is what my brother cares about. This should be a matter of blood and what's going to happen to the Valerian line. We're just going to sit aside and watch it get snuffed out by House Strong. So he's, you know, speaking a really big game that if he were to speak this publicly, as we come to find out, might be a huge issue. Um, but he feels like he is backed by the current state of King's Landing, which we'll come to see is really largely dominated by the high towers right now. Yeah. And people look, people feel emboldened to speak out against things when they think that the power structure is weakened, you know, and right. we have a king who is basically wasted away. And yes, his wife and his you know, hand are, are sort of running the show and they're not, you know, they're formidable. But like, I think you see like the cracks in Viserys's hold on things very clearly here where someone like Vaymond, granted, he's not in his presence, but like he's with his cousin. Uh, and says these things out loud because it's like, well, what is he going to do to me? You know, and then right. we kind of later find out what someone does to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I do like that the uh, that the queen who never was Rainey's uh, is saying to him this kind of talk. My cousin would have your tongue, and I'm sitting here being like, oh, she knows her cousin so well. Uh, she, she really knows him very <laughs> yeah, well. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's like the first thing he says. Um, meanwhile, back on Dragonstone, we are six years into the marriage of Rhaenyra and Daemon. Uh, Daemon is going uh, hunting for dragon eggs. He's very thrilled to see that Syrax, that's Rhaenyra's dragon, has produced a fresh clutch of eggs. I just wish that Dr. Ian Malcolm was in this scene, Richard, when Daemon procures the eggs. I feel like he would have a memorable one-liner to say in this moment in time. Or Ellen Ripley, you know, for, mm -hmm. for a different genre turn, you know. That would be more dragon fire would be yeah. involved. Yeah, uh, that'd be very, very good. Uh, so we also are now getting word about what's happened to the sea snake to the Dragonstone side of the line. And Damon is hearing um, from his daughter, from Bela, who is currently with Rainey's on uh, Driftmark, um, you know, clearly just sort of learning the ropes and uh, potentially being groomed as Rainey's wants her, uh, wants Lena's line to be the one that continues over Driftmark. Seems like this matter is really unsettled, right? She has the thing that she wants, her husband has what he wants, and Vaymond has his own agenda as well. But Bela being there is able to get the word out to Damon and Rainier. So they're now caught up on, okay, there's some drama here, and I guess we got to get back into the drama. For my own purposes, I want to clarify this. Bela yes. mm -hmm. is both Rhaenyra's cousin and stepdaughter. Correct. Okay. Uh, so we have so so Damon's daughter uh, right. is from Bela Lena. from right. Lena. 
Uh, and uh, now Rhaenyra is her stepmother as well. It is it is hard to track this family tree. And it, this episode is not making it much easier, Richard. Well, just because they keep marrying each other. And so you're like mm-hmm. stepmom and cousin. OK, got it. Yeah. Yeah. By the end of this episode, um, we are going to have Bela and Reyna are going to be betrothed to their cousins slash stepbrothers. Uh, so, right. This is going to this is going to be a whole mess of things. The resume is packed. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, so we see that uh, that that Jace is trying to learn. Uh, he's obviously older. We're six years down the line. So we've got new actors playing Jason and Luke. Uh, Harry Collette is playing Jason. He's learning High Valyrian. He's trying to uh, you know get himself ready for the day that he one day potentially will be the king of Westeros. Uh, he is not doing so well with his Valyrian lessons. Rhaenyra says, you're not supposed to learn it in a day unless you plan on deposing me. Uh, and I think like the audience might be like, given the way mm. that this show goes, I don't know. Maybe it's possible. Yeah. yeah. It is funny that, uh, you know, and this is this bor- is borne out throughout the episode and certainly last week, too, like that Rhaenyra, who we when we first met her, was the fiery kind of transgressive one. And Alicent was the meek sort of, you know, polite one and sort of did as she was told. Yeah. That they that that now Rhaenyra's sons are sort of more dutiful, like good upstanding boys. And Allison's kids are like a nightmare. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a funny reversal of like, it is it is a pretty like good shorthand for like generational difference, you know? Totally. Um, yeah. But also I think that the Valerian, the struggling with that is like, maybe there's some sort of faint implication that like, because he's not full Valerian, you know, he has right. this sort of more like, st- you know, salt of the earth, strong genes in him and so this stuff doesn't come as naturally to him yeah if he had had his his father if he had had the valerian blood yeah uh who knows if these uh if these lessons would be taking uh more easily uh i feel like valerian is probably just a really hard language to learn would be my guess um oh yeah yeah yeah. like english (laughs) from everyone who doesn't speak english natively it says that it's probably one of the hardest languages to learn you can, I believe. I, I think it is still uh, something you can do. Uh, it was on Duolingo once upon a time. Uh, oh, really? So, yeah, maybe an off-season project for yeah. us, Richard. And then next we uh, next season, when we come back for season two, we can do half the podcast in Valyrian together. Oh, perfect. From that Game of Thrones cruise where that's all they speak, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think that that's going to be great. Uh, so Damon comes to Rhaenyra with the note about what Vaemon is planning. Uh, and it turns out that uh, Rhaenys is going to be flying to court uh, to give her side of things. Uh, and Rhaenyra feels like, well, she's got to be on our side about this, right? And Damon's like, well... She does think we killed her son. Uh, right. And he was like, that's an interesting point. Uh, this might be a difficult situation. Um, they're going to have to go to King's Landing and, and sort this out themselves. Uh, also worth noting, when, when Damon and Rhaenyra make the choice to go to King's Landing, Damon puts his hand on Rhaenyra's belly. She is pregnant uh, at this moment in time. The two of them, Rhaenyra and Damon, have two children already that we will see in this episode. And there is a third on the way. That's five kids for Rainier. No, six, six. It's a lot of kids. Yes, right? it's, it's six. It would be it would be her sixth, uh, sixth okay. child wow. right now. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the step siblings. It's a, there's a huge family, huge yeah. family. Uh, the target. And now they're all coming of age, which is when things get dangerous. Mm hmm. Indeed. Uh, so we do see them arrive in King's Landing, uh, and it is their first time uh, in King's Landing in many years. It seems like it might even be their first time since they left, uh, since Rhaenyra left for Dragonstone in the first place. And there's like no one there to greet them. 
uh, we're going to later here uh, during the small council in a, in a moment. Uh, Otto Hightower, like, did you, uh, you know, have the greeting party that's fitting up their station ready right. to go? Right. And the answer is, yeah, I guess what's fitting up their station is three people. Right. Right. Nothing, nothing grand, nothing warm, just a, a clear, you know, statement of, uh, of feeling about, about yeah. them being there. I think a lot of this episode, Richard, I'd, I'd be I'd be curious for your take. It, it feels to me a lot of like Rhaenyra recognizing I've been gone for a long time. People have forgotten me. Um, the you know, the Vipers have been able to sort of sink their teeth into this place while I've been gone. Do they does anyone even want me here? And do I even want to be here myself? Yeah. You know, stranger in a strange land and all. I think the latter question is the big one in this episode, especially the scene later when she's sitting on her father's bed, kind of weeping, is like, wait, why did I want this? Like, should I just go home? Should I have come here at all? I think she knows, unfortunately, that by showing up, you know, um, that she has re-entered herself irrevocably into the game, you know? Right. And um, that's not to say that had they just hid out in Dragonstone for the whole... someone would have come for them, you know, like they, they were, they were going to be a threat no matter what. She wasn't out completely, but like she's now right back in the center of it. And you see all of the, the time that's passed. It's like, she's gotten used to not being in it and it probably is scary and, and whatever else to be back in it. Yeah. And it's pretty clear pretty quickly that the, the situation has changed greatly. Um, Damon is going to call Allison on this uh, in a little while, but a lot of the, the Targaryen imagery has been stripped in favor of the symbol of the Seven, uh, you know, the, 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 the great religion of Westeros, of so much of, of, of Westeros, um, that that is what is, uh, you see, like the star emblazoned on so many different corners of, uh, of the castle of the Red Keep. Uh, and so it's it's almost it's like literally unrecognizable to these two Targaryens as they're coming back for the first time. And even in the small council, you know, much is the same. Lord Beesbury is still here and he's still just rambling and making no sense. Um, Otto is still here. Otto is still whispering sweet nothings into the ear of the council, except that he's able to do it a little bit loudly. You know, he's able to be a little more full volume as he and Allison are really the ones who seem to be running things at this point. We have yet to see Viserys at this point in the episode, but in the small council scene, Allison is really in that top chair. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, Batman begins the, the board running Wayne mm-hmm. enterprises and then Bruce shows up and they're like, Oh, right. You <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, Viserys, you could forgive if he was asleep in one of the chairs uh, at the board. <laughs> right. I feel like yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, so we're going to see Viserys now, uh, as Rhaenyra and Damon. Oh, really quickly. There is this moment that I, I appreciated greatly as a, as a book reader. Uh, Allison is going to be, uh, leaving the small council room. She's going to hear that something is going on with her son. And one of the members of the King's guard is going to inform her about this. And she says, thank you, Eric. And this man says, no, I'm Eric, actually, uh, not Eric. Uh, and the, the reason being Richard, we have just met one of our next set of twins on the show. Mm. Uh, step aside, Lannister twins. We've got Eric and Eric Cargill in the building. Uh, two of the newest members of the Kingsguard. And this time, unlike uh, Jason and Tyland Lannister, uh, these are going to be played by different actors. Actual twin brothers, Elliot and Luke Tittensor, are going to be uh, playing the brothers Cargill. Are they people we should keep an awareness of? Like, are they... Do you think they're going to emerge as something or are they just kind of little side 
characters. Depends on how much they want to pull from the book. Uh, they okay. will either be more Easter eggy or they might have like one of my favorite moments of, of the show oh. is is okay. possible. Uh, it depends on what they want to adapt. They're not going to be humongously major players, I don't think. Um, but I do think if they want to lean into them as characters and elaborate that on them quite a bit, um, then they could have some fun with with Eric and Eric. Uh, I, I really like these characters quite a bit. I was kind of surprised, frankly, to, to see this on the show at all. It feels like the kind of thing that uh, I still lament the loss of strong Belwas from A Song of Ice and Fire not mm. making it into Game of Thrones. I could have imagined the world where the Cargill brothers were not brought into House of the Dragon. So right. fun to see them here. And if nothing um, else, they exist in this episode as a funny meta joke about how everyone on the show has some variation of the same name. <laughs> Well, it's funny because it's it's a joke, but it also ends up being something of a plot device uh, oh. by the end of this episode. Uh, yeah, I feel yeah, like uh, that's so, true. You know, we're kind of setting that up already uh, in this in this tongue in cheek way. Uh, shouldn't be making jokes about tongues at this point in time. Um, Rhaenyra and Damon they are going to go and see Viserys, and so this is our first look at pa- uh, Patty Considine in this episode. And you know, he has been looking worse and worse and worse as time has gone on. This is, you know, this is a, a, you know, a man who is who's really right there at the edge. Uh, he is he is skeletal. Uh, his his hair is gone. He is missing an eye, though it is currently wrapped. He looks re- it's really, really, frankly, upsetting uh, this this uh, everything that's going on with Viserys in this episode and just the, you know, the the absence of his mind and not being able to see or recognize or remember people. Um, all of this, I thought, was uh, was really, really sad when Damon and Rhaenyra reached Viserys for the first time in probably half a decade at this point. And he seems so far gone that he's, you know, you kind of you you tense up a little bit, expecting him to be like, get out of my chambers, you know, you traitors or whatever. Right. But he doesn't care. You know, he knows that the most important thing is to keeping these people from killing each other. Um, and he also knows that his po- any power he had to do that is swiftly running out. And. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, like Viserys has been this fascinating, tragic character throughout the whole season. And and I think this being his final act is, um, you know, uh, certainly not what I saw coming a few episodes ago, but but really fitting. Yeah. So he's doing he's not doing so well. Uh, He is not really able to focus on what Rhaenyra and Daemon are actually here for. Uh, You know, they're trying to tell him that the sea snake has been wounded in the stepstones and Viserys like, didn't we fight that war? And David's like, yeah, I know. It's the Triarchy again. They're coming back. They're really trying to make the Triarchy happen. There's new fighting. Uh, so that's what happened to the Sea Snake. And now there's this petition to decide on the heir to the Driftwood Throne. And we need you to affirm your decision for Luke. Uh, and again, just Viserys uh, demonstrating how, how present he is. He once again just has to ask, did something happen to Lord Corley's? Um, So in this moment, you know, this person who they really need on their side, if they're going to be able to keep Luke in place and keeping Luke in place and keeping Driftmark in their hands is going to be instrumental if they want to have any kind of chance of having real authority towards their claim for the Iron Throne. This man is a lifeline for that, Richard, and he can't focus in the meeting. And that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's tough. Um, But he has uh, grandchildren. Uh, He has he has new grandchildren to meet. Uh, and we're meeting them as well for the first time as Damon and Rhaenyra are introducing Viserys to their two children together. There is yet another Aegon to take into account. Uh, so there is uh, yet another baby Aegon on board here in House of the Dragon. 
And there is a baby Viserys, uh, and he's really, you know, an infant. And the, the Viserys that we've come to know over the course of this show, this feels like this wakes him up, uh, at least for a little while. He has this emotional moment where he says, uh, that is a name fit for a king. Um, and I thought that that was really sweet until, sadly, the scene kind of turns where the babies are, are scared to look upon Viserys, and Viserys is so weak, and his head is pounding, and he starts moaning. Um, it's, it's brutal. This was a really, really tough scene. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliantly acted. Um, but like, also there's something a little, I don't know, sad in the line about name fit for a king where it's like, that kid is like 10th on the line I of know. succession. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. never going to happen unless, well, I mean, I guess it could. Right. I mean, I think, uh, I think back to what Luke said in Drift, Mark, it's like, I don't want to be king. If I'm king, that means all of you are dead. Right, exactly. uh, you know, you imagine Viserys, uh, baby Viserys, maybe feeling similarly. Yeah. Like having a list being like, okay, who would have to be dead for me <laughs> to become uh-huh. king? It's many, <laughs> yeah. many people. Yeah. It'd be rough. Okay. Let's go to Alicent. Uh, and there is a, there's a scene here where Alicent hears um, from a serving girl named Diana um, who uh, apparently it seems like has been assaulted by Aegon, uh, and it, this is this is a this is a lot. This is a lot. This scene of Allison telling Diana that I believe you. This wasn't your fault, but I worry about what others might believe. Yeah, it's very college administration, you know, telling people like, well, we could do something, but think of all the things that would, you know, all the problems it would cause, and right, you know, I mean, this is a bad kid that she has raised. Uh, yes. And and now it's not just petulant, you know, whatever he was doing in his early teen years. This is he's like now like harming people very, you know, significantly. And uh, right. And yet Allison can't really, you know, push him away. He is of some value to her. It's strategically, at least, you know. Also, you know, he's her son, you know, yeah. not for nothing. And, and I think, um, again, I think a lot of what's happening on the show right now is Allison has has a lot of what we've seen from adult Allison is so much modeled after the way that she was raised by her father. And she's bringing that down, like the tension, the stakes of if we don't have our act together, we could get wiped out by Rhaenyra and all of these people. And um, Aegon is going to tell her, you know, a scene from now um, that I didn't ask for any of this. It's too much pressure. And like, that's not at all even remotely excusing the way that he is behaving. But it's just it, this these two scenes back to back, I think, give a lot of insight into why are we even doing any of this? Why does any why does anyone want the throne in this episode is a question that I walk away with. Yeah, it's a curse, you know, yes. um, and it's one that some people handle better than others. But like, yeah, I think also, you know, Aegon um, kind of, you know, having this breakdown or, you know, emotional fit that maybe was a little bit faked or whatever, like. And it does seem to kind of work on Alice. If she gets, she's mad at him, but like you do see the sympathy slightly return, you know, um, it, it, it just, there's a complicated relationship there, obviously. Right. Um, I think that there's probably some self-loathing there of like, I oh, made you, like, yeah, I like this is this. on me, you know? Yeah, and like, right. I, I don't, I don't imagine Viserys was the most like present father when the boy was younger. And, um, are we supposed to think that, um, Diana was poisoned? I had that question as well. Uh, I was certainly afraid that that was what was happening here. Um, but I think that it is once again the moon tea. I think it is, uh, you know, their morning after remedy right. that we've right. seen That's a few what times. I, yeah. um, you know, I don't, I don't think that Allison is, is killing this woman. But 
um, you know, I definitely was was concerned. I think we would have gotten some kind of follow up scene if if that had been the case. Yeah, you know, and it, I guess also this is this feels like a first time, maybe that at least that Allison's been aware of, right? Or does it? Yeah, right. Because it didn't seem like okay, I could get the tea again. You know, yet another one of these. It, this felt like significant, like in 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 Aegon's kind of um, progression into you yeah. know, villainy, I guess. I think that the yeah, I think the way that she responds to it when she's alone with Aegon suggests that to me that this has not been like. I mean, it might be a regular occurrence, but it might be the first time that this regular occurrence is pinging on her radar. Right. Um, uh, we come to find out that Aegon and Helena, as threatened, have been married to one another. So brother and sister uh, in the Targaryen family, as per tradition, have wed. Um, Helena comes into the room saying, uh, have any of you seen Diana? Uh, she's supposed to dress our children. Uh, so uh, this is um, this is the show telling us that Aegon and Helena are not only married, uh, but they have produced children together at this point. And Helena, you know, true to her earlier characterization, is a bit of an oddball. You know, um, we see that more of that later in the episode. Like, I- I'm very curious about that character. Uh, I mean, maybe she's just kind of there to kind of add texture to it. But like, she's she's in a significant position, too. Um, and I'm curious what the show is going to do with her. Yeah. Um, we get the first scene between Alicent, Rhaenyra, and Damon uh, of this episode. The first time the three of them have been together since that very dramatic scene at Driftmark last week. Uh, and uh, a lot of, you know, like pot shots being taken at each other in this. Uh, you know, Alicent, you were too busy to greet us uh, upon our arrival. You were too busy ruling. How have you been expressing the king's wisdom through grunts and wheezes? You know, now that Damon and Rhaenyra know that Viserys is not supremely capable of getting his point across at this point. Um, so there's just a lot of, of tension in this room. Yeah, yeah. And a very complicated old tension, you know. And um, I think by the time we get to the banquet scene later on, like you see that weariness of that. They're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're still doing this. Yeah. Um, but but they do. I mean, Damon and Rainier certainly do have a point. Like, this is not a guy who is confidently barking out orders from bed. Like, you guys are must be making a lot of this up on your own. Yeah, like how are you translating any of that right. into like actual, uh, you know, uh, policy? So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a worthy question at this point. I think it's interesting that, and we we caught glimpses of this. I think at the small council scene earlier, and coming up in a second here when Allison and Otto are with Vaymond, and Vaymond is saying like. You know, the realm has enjoyed a long peace. I think that this is Otto who says it. Um, you know, there's the threat of war that's looming and it could arrive at our shores. And if it does, who do we want at the command of the greatest fleet of Westeros? Do you want a child or do you want someone who's going to be loyal to us? Uh, right. Do you want Vaymond on the throne? And so there's a strong case that's being made for why it should be Vaymond, who, even if it's not supposed to go to him, why he should be sitting on the Driftwood throne. But such a decree, and the decree is going to fall to Alicent and Otto, as Alicent tells to Rhaenyra and Damon, uh, that we will be the ones who are making this call. Um, it's a reach, right? You know, it is a grab. Uh, it is a move. Uh, and it's not one that you can really take back. And it is, it is not one that is keeping with tradition. And it will certainly signal, and its reception will certainly signal, like, how far can we push this? You know, who's on our side? Who's not? If this is going to hold then that really weakens um, Rhaenyra to the point that she might not have a shot at any of this anymore. And in fact, could be greatly endangered uh, at that point in time. Um, so the the stakes are once again becoming very, very clear. But I think it's compelling that Alicent seems to be processing the, 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 the impact of this, the possible impact of this as well. 
of being the person who is in that chair, Richard, and knowing like, if I do this, if I give this to Vaymond, it's on. That's and it. yeah. I don't know that I want to do that, but I might have to do that. Especially because, like I said earlier, like the, everyone has been waiting to make these moves for a long time. And I think in that time have started to kind of question those moves and question the motivations behind them and question whether they even want the thing that they're supposed to want. Yes. And now Allison and everybody really is like, OK, here we go. Like right. it, it's finally here. You know, we, we never thought that we were going to get Avatar 2 and now mm -hmm. it's coming out. Yeah. Uh, and the way of the water would have been another great name for this episode. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Okay, so let us then go to uh, the fighting yards. Jason and Luke are back in King's Landing as well for the first time since they were children. And they're doing kind of the, the stroll down memory lane. Oh, look, that's the hole where Kristen Cole swung his morning star. I told you it'd still be here. Uh, we also come to find out that at this point in time, Luke uh, seems to be old enough, Richard, to understand um, the uh, at least the rumors, if not the reality of who their biological father was. Yeah. Um, there's some some talk about uh, the memory of Sir Harwin Strong. Yeah, he's aware of it, but, you know, they've been elsewhere. They've been in their own little world. And so it maybe it mattered less. And now that they're right back where it matters most, I don't think that uh, the kids are maybe necessarily prepared to to deal with that. They're definitely not prepared to deal with their uncle Aemond. Uh, as we see how time has treated Aemond Targaryen since last we saw him, he had claimed the largest dragon in the land. Luke had claimed Aemond's eye. And now, played by Ewan Mitchell, Aemond Targaryen is a young man grown. And he is very good uh, in a fight. Uh, he bests Kristen Cole uh, in this, this quick skirmish where neither of them seem to be holding back. Kristen yeah. Cole talking about his morning star. You are seeing him swinging this thing at full volume uh, to uh, at Aemond. Uh, and Aemond is able to dodge it left and right. He ends this little sparring match with Kristen Cole at sword point. Uh, Kristen tells him, you're going to win tournaments in no time. And Aemond tells Kristen, I don't give a shit about tournaments. So we know a lot about Aemon Targaryen in this one scene. Yeah. Well, we also, um, he is Westeros' number one sky captain in the world of tomorrow cosplay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He looks which is great. A big, yeah. big distinction. Yeah. It, it's uh, a lot of look for I was this thinking show. L Driver. <laughs> L Driver was on my mind. Oh, very L Driver. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With the long blonde hair. That's true. That's yes, very true. Yeah. And he's got a really striking face, this actor. So I don't know if um, my whistling is going to translate to the, to the <laughs> podcast. So I'm going to hold back. But you know what well, I'm thinking. If yeah. you look down, there's a black mamba snake at your feet right now. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. be careful. I'm trying to be careful. Um, I think that in addition to claiming uh, Vagar the dragon, Richard, it is possible that Aemond has claimed the word nephews for the rest of time. The way that he spits out the word nephews. Have you come to train? Uh, and he's going to say nephews again later in the episode. And I don't think that I'll ever see that word again and not think of Aemond Targaryen. <laughs> yeah. He wields it. He wields it uh, heavily, but well. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is so. Uh, it it it's so patronizing. It's so demoralizing. It sounds dangerous. The way that he just he hasn't acknowledged their presence yet, and Luke and Jace are kind of just watching. Seemingly the first time that they've seen him since everything went down, and he doesn't greet them warmly. He doesn't greet them with anything other than a very cold, sharp acknowledgement as his nephews. Um, it's you know, it's an act of dominance for sure. Uh, and I think uh, Aemond has has announced himself as a pretty dangerous person already in this one scene. And it will only get deadlier as the episode goes on. 
Um, Aemond, by the way, is thrilled to see Vaymond Valerion show up as uh, Vaymond's entire procession rolls into town. Pretty clear the outcome that he is rooting for at this moment in time. Yeah, he's he's at least, I, you know, once in a while you have a character who is vocal about exactly what side they're mm-hmm. on. And, uh, you know, that's pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Helps clarify things, um, even though Aemond is pretty far down that line of succession. But like, I don't think that much matters to him, just like he doesn't care about tournaments. No. Um, so then we get the scene with Vaymond and Allison and Otto, which I, I feel like we've already we've already covered. Uh, you know, Vaymond is just making it very clear to them that whoever you pick as the next Lord of the Tides, they're going to be pretty in your debt. So we'll drift mark. Right. Uh, so you might want to think about going with me. Uh, so it's definitely a, a top of mind decision for the High Towers. Meanwhile, uh, three women named Rhaenyra, Raina, and Rainies walk into a bar. Uh, <laughs> This is hilarious. This is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, This feels like a gag to some degree, Richard. Of like, we have to have a scene that's just the three people that are named almost exactly alike. Raina is whose kid? Raina Raina is Damon and Lena's uh, daughter. So Bela's sister. Yes. Uh, And she is the one who uh, last we checked did not have a dragon. And I believe that is still the case. Ah, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so she's the one who hasn't seen Rainies in a long time because Bela is the one who is at Driftmark. Uh, and it absolutely feels like we are being clowned by the show. Or like, oh, I, yeah. I think like specifically yeah. when I say we, I think like you and me and our fellow podcasters and all the prognosticators. Yeah. I think that like Ryan Condal and George R. R. Martin are on the other side of their computer screens listening to this being like, I can't wait to see how people cover this scene. Are they going to be able to keep everybody in, in, in track? I don't know. Uh, Rhaenyra, Raina, and Rainies, all three of them together at last. It's good stuff. Maybe it's an homage uh, to the Indian action film RRR. No, oh, it could be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Reading, writing, arithmetic. I don't know. Yes. Uh, but yes, they're all together. Um, and uh, yeah, okay. It helps to clarify again. So Raina is one of the little girls who was in that cave when yes. Aemond lost his eye. Right. Okay. Correct. So she was there for that. Um, and it seems like it has been a while since she has seen her grandmother. And it certainly has been some time since Rhaenyra and Rhaenys have had uh, time together. Understandably, considering that Rhaenys believes that Rhaenyra killed her son. Uh, and Rhaenyra is fiercely denying it in this scene uh, once Raina goes away. Rainier says, I loved your son. You may not believe it to be true, but I did. I did not order his death, nor was I complicit in it. I swear this to you. Um, it's, you know, I guess it's the truth, kind of, technically. There's some omission going on. Yeah, I think there's also an interesting dynamic where, like, in some ways, Rainiera agreed to hold a, a family secret for her dad's cousin you know which was like your son is gay right and i'm gonna kind of be complicit in covering that up um and so in some ways i mean obviously uh, you know lenor's imagined death aside like rain is kind of owes rainier a debt of gratitude in a way um and it's being you know the, the whole like well, you know whose children are whose like what were what were Rainier's choices really? And I don't really think that's what Rainus is upset about. Obviously, she thinks that she, you know, that she had Lena killed. But like, I don't know. There's just an interesting dynamic between them because strip away of other things, like they're kind of very, they're very similar. I think they're of the yes. same mind, um, and that's kind of one of the sad things about this scene where you're like, maybe they can never 
reach that understanding, but I think they kind of do later in the episode. You do get the sense that if these two could get on message with each other, yeah. they would be really powerful. Um, like if Rhaenyra but, could just like be yeah. like, you can't tell anyone else. Right. He's okay. Right. I don't know where he is, but I think he has like a loft apartment in one of the free cities. Uh-huh. That- yeah. I know that she's trying to save that for her final tribal council speech, <laughs> right. Richard. Yeah, that, but like, I do, I do think that this might be just as we're squeezing down to the final three. It's like final five. Maybe you want to trot it out there so you can win her for your vote when it gets a little tense. Uh, right exactly yeah um but yeah she's she's trying to make another offer that might uh you know be a bit of a stopgap in this tension for at least a moment um she says listen uh if you back luke tomorrow we will betroth uh lena's children to mine uh bela and jace will will be together she will be the queen of the seven kingdoms someday and reyna will rule in driftmark uh and that will pass along to her and luke's children so you know, this will stay in the Valerian bloodline is, you know, sort of the unspoken piece of this. And Rainey's is like, that's very generous and also very, very desperate, uh, a stinky cologne. Uh, and she says, it's a it's a it's a really nice offer, but you could bargain with me all you like. Tomorrow, Allison Hightower is going to deliver her first blow and force you to your knees and I will be standing right there. So right now, she doesn't want to hear any of this. And yeah. when this falls on deaf ears, Richard, I think this is the moment where Rainier is like, I'm screwed. Yeah. Um, I'm getting voted should, out tonight. Yeah. I'm getting voted out tonight. Yes. Uh, and so she she comes to her father, like the only person uh, that she can possibly appeal to. Right. Like the the only person like her her life in the game is in the hands of the one person who does not know how to play it. Uh, you know, she she's coming to Viserys. And uh, asking him, you know, while he is, it's late at night, he's, he's moaning and groaning his way through the night. And she uh, is being mistaken for Alicent at this moment in time, which is rich, uh, considering the end of the episode. Um, and Rainier is going to ask him about the Song of Ice and Fire. Do you believe that it's true? Are we really supposed to have this duty where we have to hold the realm united against a common foe? Uh, because by naming the heir, you divided the realm. So did you actually believe any of this? Um, and it's storming outside, and she says, I thought I wanted this, but the burden, it's heavy. It's too heavy. Uh, and if you wish me to bear it, then you need to defend me and my children. Uh, it just feels like sort of this um, this magical moment. This is like a big moment, I feel like, Richard, where she's like wishing on the thunderstorm for Viserys to have like one last jolt of life to get on his feet. I wrote in my recap to Grandpa Joe his way out of bed and like storm the chocolate factory with her. And like, you have to show up tomorrow. You have to help me. Um, and it's going to work, but it does not feel like it's going to work in this moment. Yeah. And it's a rare moment of pure vulnerability. You know, like we've had many scenes on this season of like people clearly who are bereft or whatever, but they have to kind of steal themselves, you know, because of who they're talking to or what circumstance they're in. But in this case, it's just like a girl and her dying father. And she's just like, I am completely lost. Like, please help. Um, and, and yeah, there's something sort of vaguely, not supernatural, but there's some something in the air, you know, of this scene, which I think is really well done. Um, what do we think that Viserys meant by my only child? Yeah, um, I think that he I think that you get it from, you know, as as, you know, recently as six years ago, he's confusing Allison for for Emma. Uh, he's going to have the, you know, his his potentially final words right. at the end of this episode where he sort of like grasps at the night and says, my love. It feels like he's stuck, you know, or like he's like he is almost like, uh, you know, again, like to invoke uh, lost time travel rules. 
he's like Minkowski in the constant, uh, you know, like drifting through time on his deathbed uh, as he is like going back to his proverbial Ferris wheel. And he is being tethered back to his constant to Emma. Uh, and I think that he when he says Rhaenyra, my only child for me, I mean, there's no question that he is the father of uh, Allison's children. Um, but I think in this moment, he is thinking back or he's like maybe even really located in that time before all of this, you know, it's just where he wants to go back. Right. That was the last time this man was at anywhere even remotely close to happy, you think, is when it was just him, Emma and Rhaenyra. And that's yeah. where he wants to be. And that might be kind of where he's living right now. Yeah. Which, again, later on has disastrous consequences. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially. Uh, probably. Uh, so the next day... Um, I really loved this imagery. We, you know, we've seen the, the model of old Valyria, of course, in the credits every week, but we also see it in Viserys' bedroom uh, throughout the series. And here, like with the candles that are, that are lit to you know, illuminate uh, the, the old Valyria model, they're like down to like the, the very last bits, and it's just the smoking ruins of old Valyria. It feels like the doom is coming. Uh, so I just thought that was super evocative, and I, I loved that choice. Um, it is also uh, very, very evocative to watch Viserys get ready for the day and how many people it requires to sort of clean him up to be quasi presentable. Uh, we see all of the lesions have just gotten worse. The wounds have gotten worse. He, uh, you know, kudos to, uh, to, to, to the visual effects on this episode. I cannot imagine that Patty Considine Christian bailed himself here, Richard. No, no. Um, but it's really it's really effective when you see him just skin and bone uh is just horrible it's so horrible it's so sad to see what this man has become yeah and yet he still because of some invented idea of title and succession has power you know and i think that his frailty is is kind of a good reminder that this is all made up you know right but like there is nothing divine about him there's not he's human um and you know that both kind of i think emboldens the people trying to vie for his power but also like should in an ideal world make them think be like look this we're not going to cheat death with getting this power we're not going to do anything it, it doesn't you know um we should invent democracy <laughs> right um but you know of course they won't no not even by the end of game of thrones they laugh at it literally yep. Yep. uh what are you gonna do <laughs> um so otto is is recognizing that uh viserys is is not quite ready for for any of this but i think beyond like you know it's it's so much less about viserys is not quite ready for this and more it would be so easy to just feed this man more of the milk of the poppy and just put him back to bed. Uh, and that would be better because then we get to make the call. Um, but Viserys shakes his head uh, and he, he wants to keep going. But when we arrive in the throne room in the next scene, it feels like at least the show is trying to sell us that Viserys did not make it to the, to the meeting, uh, that he is not going to be coming because Otto Hightower is speaking on behalf of the crown in his capacity as the hand of the king. And he will be the one who settles the matter of the succession of Driftmark. And so in this moment, Rhaenyra feels like it's probably a lost cause. She will do what she can. She'll, you know, she'll defend herself as best as she can, but the votes are coming in and it's not in her favor. Um, Bayman gets to speak first and talk about the true unimpeachable Valerian blood that runs through his veins. Rhaenyra tries to, to interrupt him and say that my children have that blood as well. Allison tells her Bayman gets to talk. You can talk after him. And Bayman uh, very pointedly says to, to Rhaenyra, I could cut my veins open and show you Valerian blood and you still would not recognize it. Um, he tells the crown that this is a matter of blood 
not ambition. And it's about the continuation of my house above all. It's probably a little bit about ambition, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every, everything is, you know, this is opportunity just like anything else, you know? Yeah, there's at least a little ambition here. Well, it's like when um, someone gets, gets medically evacuated from Survivor, every, someone inevitably says, I'm sad to see them go, but... Mm-hmm. But, but... That's pretty good for me. Yeah. yeah. Although, like, the flip side is, like, Rainier is like, my father got medevaced and that screwed my game, you know? <laughs> she's <laughs> right, at right, right Yeah, now. she's on like, one of the blood and water seasons. Yeah, I can't believe you left with the idol. He could have given that to me. <laughs> um, so what could go wrong indeed? Uh, Viserys is going to show up now. Um, and I don't know. I, maybe There was something in the room this day that I was watching this episode, Richard. But I was very misty-eyed at this entire sequence. I thought that this was really very effective. Um, Viserys coming into the, into the throne room. He is loudly announced uh, King Viserys of House Targaryen, first of his name, King of the Andals and the Roiner and the First Men. Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm. And here he is, you know, hobbling through on his cane, yet on his own two feet. Uh, He has this golden mask that makes him look part crab feeder, part phantom of the opera. Uh, And he manages to get to the throne very painfully, uh, but very powerfully, I thought, as he comes up to Otto and the the Ramin Jawadi score is soaring underneath all of this. And he says, I will sit the throne today. And Otto steps aside. Your grace, what are you to do? You have to, you have to set aside. Uh, you have to step aside at this point. Um, his crown drops. Damon comes. He picks up the crown for him and puts it on Viserys' head. I, I was full on crying at this point. This was the first time I've cried at House of the Dragon, but I was really moved by this entire sequence. Well, it's the last gasp of like moderate government, <laughs> you know. Right. Like, it feels who, like it. Whoever takes this role after him is gonna have to be much more extreme than he's been. And he managed to kind of hold things at bay uh for a long a long time, you know, which is like, you know, he was worrying about his legacy episodes ago. And it's like I think he kind of weirdly has built one, which was basically just like gonna keeping my asshole family members from killing each other. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah. So to see him just do one more like no assert uh, you know, assertion of 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 himself, um yeah, it's a, it was a good, it's a big scene. I think it was, it, it's Damon giving him the crown that like yeah. pushed me over the edge. Yeah. Because uh, I was thinking back to obviously all of like the horrors that have gone on between these two brothers, but Viserys constantly telling Damon how much he, you know, like even every time Damon screws up, every time he messes up, Viserys is like, just come back, come back. Uh, and Damon last week being the one like who wants nothing to do with that. He never wanted his brother's help. Uh, and now in this moment, when he and his wife really need uh, Viserys's help, here's Damon to help Viserys. Like you have done like ninety percent of the legwork. Let me get you that last ten percent to the throne. Felt like a moment of 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 growth for the relationship between these brothers, which feels like um, you know good timing, considering there might not be much time left uh, for either of them to to be with each other anymore. So I thought that, that was really good. Matt Smith's face just really sold that. And obviously, Patty Considine doing so much work in uh, in this episode. Um, and when he when he steps up and he's just like he's not like right back to the old version of himself, but he's he's eloquent enough. Uh, I must admit my confusion. I don't understand why petitions are being heard over settled succession. This matters. This is this is what I was saying earlier. Richard is like this episode with this matter of the Lord of the Tides. Very instructive, right? Because he's not going to be here, Viserys, for too much longer. He knows this. Um, but succession has been settled. His daughter is the heir. She will sit on the Iron Throne after him. It's done. Why are we doing this? And it's like Viserys is getting to time travel, perhaps, a little bit. A glimpse into the future that exists beyond him. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, you're right that he is, he is pretty lucid and well-spoken in this. And, and it, you know, you, you get this sort of not glimmer of like, okay, like there's still a sane person in authority. And then of course, like he's gone again, you yeah. know, and um, there, there is something kind of poignant about that, but like, yeah, this is, I think this is the crux moment in a way, weirdly that we've been kind of waiting for, you know, um, it's not even about who gets to be, come king or queen it's about this other noble house and yet it has so many far-reaching implications uh rainy's at this point uh i think you know reads the room viserys is here she has been offered this deal from rhaenyra and if viserys was strong enough to get to the throne she's smart enough to know what motivated that right um so she's like well let me just go ahead and take that deal then that rhaenyra pitched to me and I will, I will go all the way with that. Luke is the trueborn son uh, of my of my departed son, Lainor. Uh, Corlys wanted this to to go to him, uh, and in fact, it's such a great day for all of us. Rainier just told me that we're gonna propose my granddaughters. Uh, we're gonna, and you know, have them marry uh, their cousins, their stepbrothers. It's gonna be a great time in Westeros. Uh, and Viserys says, "Great, then I could go back to bed." Uh, Luke is the heir of the Driftwood Throne, and that is that. Except that's not that for Vaymond Valerion, who decides that now is the time to blow things up. Uh, he, he cannot abide what has gone down, and he, he lets it be known that this is, uh, that this is uh, a, a catastrophe, that this is catastrophic decision-making from Viserys, and he will not stand for it. Yeah, well, he was not going to stand for much longer. Yeah. <laughs> no, really not. He is not. He is making this final pitch. Uh, you know, he is getting to have uh, like a very HBO death, I think, is what's happening here for, for Vayman. I'm thinking of a certain, I won't even speak the name, final season Boardwalk Empire scene uh, as Vayman is going to be shouting loudly, peacocking about about his, his being the true Valerian blood. That is no nephew of mine. Do you know who I am? They are bastards. Uh, and she is a whore, he says about Rhaenyra, and Viserys takes out his dagger. He would, like, spring off of the throne if he could. He does say, I will have your tongue for that. And then Damon, because this is an action movie all of a sudden, takes out Dark Sister, his Valyrian sword, chops off Vaemon's head from the lower jaw up while his tongue is still wagging. He falls to the ground, and Damon says, he can keep his tongue. Like, okay, I've been taken out of it a little bit at this moment in time, but gosh, that was a lot. Yeah, it's a little cartoony, this part, but like, with you know, complete with the action movie kiss offline. But, you know, the show needs that sometimes. I think so, too. Um, And I think that, I think in the sort of psychological framework of these characters, this world that we're in, I think event people will pretty quickly be like, the guy called his wife a whore to the king's face. Like, he was totally justified in having his head cut off by that woman's husband. You know, like, yeah. like I, I feel like you're like, there, there's some sort of logic for them where it's like, yeah, it's a big deal that he killed this noble man, but like, he's a little more noble. And also, his family had been grievously insulted. Yeah, I think that that's it. And I think like they had they had pushed the envelope multiple times throughout this show of like just like getting right up to the edge of accusing um, you know, Rhaenyra's children of being Harwin Strong's children and finally someone loudly shouting it not in like the the like the quasi public forum of Driftmark last week. This is the Red Keep, you know. This is Madison Square Garden. You know, you can't take this back. Uh so yeah, I think uh, a, an equally loud announcement. I think for Damon probably like 
worth the risk if they pull swords on me. Like, this can't stand. Like, if we're to show any force of power, I have to make the move that I'm making now. And also, I think no love lost between Damon and Veyman. Uh, You go back to episode three in The War and the Stepstones. They did not seem to care for each other all that much anyway. Um, You know, Damon was laughing when Veyman was making his pointed remarks about the Valerian children last week, too. So I think something of a long time coming for for Damon versus uh, Veyman. I guess I was surprised, Richard, because I'm used to it being the penultimate episodes of a season one of a Game of Thrones franchise where someone loses their head. So this came just like one episode early for me. Yeah, exactly. They're just shaking things up, you know. Um, uh, I you do, do also wonder that if the Sea Snake is alive and going to come back to this show, which we kind of assume he will, that's not good. You know, like he's going to be like, he did what to my brother? You know, right. um, so we, we have to assume that this beheading will have consequences beyond what we've seen in, by the end of this episode. Is that the moment where Damon should be like, all right, well, so that's the bad news. The good news is your son is alive. And I had something to do with that. Right, exactly. Whoa, 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 just hear me out. Yeah. Both of our moms are named Martha, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, we do have this moment afterwards of Rainey's in the morgue uh, looking over Veyman's body uh, as uh, the Silent Sisters are, are washing him uh, and getting him ready to be returned to Driftmark. Uh, and uh, the Grand Maester tells her, like, maybe you don't want to be here for this. Uh, and she says, no, the stranger has visited me more times than I can count. And I assure you, he cares little whether my eyes are open or closed. I thought this was a really compelling scene from the one person on the show who has, like, so clearly multiple times said, we're just going deeper and deeper into the bear pit. Um, she, like, is now having eyes on a dead body, yet another dead family member, whether or not she cared much for this man. Uh, and realizing, like, gosh, we are right in the center of this storm. Yeah, and you wonder what her her next moves are, like where she goes, you know? I think the character and the performance is so good that I, I wouldn't want her to kind of fade into the background now that she's been not neutralized, but sort of, like, placated with this marriage arrangement or whatever. Um, you know, because, like, she's the, she's been the wisest one about this the whole time, and, you know, people didn't listen to her. Right. I mean... You know, right before this happened, you know, if she could have seen a little bit into the future, maybe she wouldn't have announced the part about uh, my granddaughters being uh, betrothed to Raina's sons. Uh, but that happened first. And then a man died. Uh, and it was a sharp reminder of what she is actually uh, pushing herself towards. It's actually kind of interesting when you think about Rainey is making this move. It feels very sea snake uh, like, you know, um, He's so concerned about legacy and he's so concerned about who the Driftwood throne will pass down to. And he's the one who who cares so much about um, whether or not he has proximity to the Iron Throne. And it's like this opportunity to have her granddaughters closer to it that Rhaenyra has thrown her way. And Viserys stepping up to the plate and clearly going to be ruling in Rhaenyra's favor. It's almost like some of that um, old energy before she was the queen who never was. And when she stood that still stood a chance of being just the queen. It's like some of that has reactivated, maybe, in this moment where she's alone with Vaymond. It almost feels like uh, a very quick uh, sobering up on the other side of a, rela- a relapse. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you have to think, okay, in some ways she's protecting those kids by having them married into, this, into the inner sanctum, but also that puts them in more risk depending on how things go. And, like, just the weariness of having to juggle all of those potential outcomes, uh, you know, I think you really feel on, on Rainus in this episode. 
So we go to this feast that Viserys wanted, um, his entire family present. Everyone's here in King's Landing. Who knows when that will happen again, certainly with him still being able to stand. Uh, and so he is brought in. There's this big gulf between uh, Rainier and Alicent where Viserys ought to be at the start of it. There is this moment where it looks like they're going to speak with each other just of their own volition uh, before Viserys is, is brought in. And um, everyone is toasting to, to Luke and to Jace and Bela and Reyna, uh, the strengthening of the houses. Everybody's playing, you know, nice enough at this moment in time. But it's really Viserys' words that I think take it, at least for a time, from nice enough to actually kind of nice. Uh, he, he, get, he gives this speech. He tells everybody, it, it gladdens my heart and fills me with sorrow to see these faces around the table. The faces most dear to me in all the world. You've grown so distant from each other in years past. Uh, he takes his mask off. We see his eye is missing. Uh, and so we see his face uh, as it truly is for the first time in this episode. Uh, he has the line, my own face is no longer a handsome one, if indeed it ever was. But tonight, I wish you to see me as I am, not just a king, but your father, your brother, your husband, and your grandsire who may not, it seems, walk for much longer among you. Let us no longer hold ill feelings in our hearts. The crown cannot stand strong. If the house of the dragon remains divided, he said the name of the show. <laughs> Set aside your grievances, if not for the sake of the crown, then for the sake of this old man who loves you all so dearly. And that is the speech. And for a, a, for five minutes, Richard, it seems like it worked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, he's given a speech like this before, and it worked for a tiny bit, and then it didn't, you know, and... But this one, yeah, it's like this is like one of his final proclamations, you know, and I think people are like, you know, what? well, all right, like maybe we can figure this out. And it lasts, you know, till dessert, basically. Right. Yeah. It's I think everyone in the room is like, yeah, let's look at his true face and we can all, you know, sort of like get closer to what we're all thinking anyway. It's like he is he is on his way. He is on his way out. And we are on the edge of making a choice. Do we want peace or do we want war? Uh, and it feels like Rhaenyra and Alice in, in this moment, at least, and probably to, to Otto's chagrin to a certain degree, when Alicent says, I raise my cup to you and your house, you will make a fine queen. Right. And it seems like the two of them have set it aside, that that is their desire in this moment. It feels authentic to me. Yeah. And part of it, I think, is Rhaenyra's like sees the full picture of how far her father has fallen into poor health. And she's like, good God, Alicent has been taking care of that. You know, yes. like, I think there is just a basic, like, human appreciation for the fact that, like, Alicent, like, stuck by uh, Viserys through a lot of hard and, you know, scary stuff. Yeah. Um, but even in the immediate aftermath, like, if that's the, if that's the, you know, if that's generation, the generation after Viserys, if they're able to get there, then their kin are not quite there yet themselves, as Aegon and Reyna and Jace are kind of embroiled. In a little bit of crosstalk, uh, Aegon saying to Reyna, if you ever wish to know what it is to be satisfied, all you have to do is ask. Jace rises. Aemond rises. Uh, Jace raises a glass to cover it up. He gives a toast to uh, his uncles, to Aegon and Aemond. And he's just like punching Aegon in the shoulder the whole way through. Uh, and then he goes up and dances with Helena. Uh, he sweeps her off her feet as the music strikes up. Uh, as Helena tells Bela and Reyna what to expect from marriage, uh, your husband will mostly ignore you, except sometimes when he's drunk. It's not so bad. Uh, and Helena and Jace will start dancing together as Aegon, kind of red-faced, is watching, feeling embarrassed. 
But the rest of the table is mostly pleasant. You even see like Otto does this like strange little golf clap thing. Uh, they're all looking like kind of lovingly at each other. I noted that this this felt to me, Richard, like there was a world in which this is the series finale. Like they all figured it out. That's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but there's always some tension lurking at the edges. You know, in this case, it's the form of a of a mean uncle. Yes, mean uncle Eamon, uh, because Viserys is watching everybody, and he is having this moment of you can imagine in his mind being like, "I did it. All right, I fixed it. I solved everything." Uh, I've, I, I established world peace. Uh, and then he is starting to succumb to his illness again and his head is throbbing and his guards have to lift him up and his, escort him out of the room. Um, and the moment he is gone is the moment that Amond decides, well, let me just go ahead and break that because we're not actually doing that plan, right? right. We're still doing right. plan A, murder everybody. That's still the game plan, right? Uh, and he gives his toast, his toast to his three nephews, to the nephews, uh, let us drain our cups to these three strong boys, handsome, wise, and capital S strong. Right. He's playing a little word, you know, game here mm-hmm. um, that I embarrassingly didn't pick up on until the second strong. And I was like, oh, right. Right. Like the, like the last name. <laughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, again, with the week. With the center of power week, people feel very emboldened, you know, and he's literally carried out of the room, Viserys is, and so, you know, um, out of sight, out of mind, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a good kind of clever literary dev- foreshadowing of, like, what's going to come when, you know, Viserys is really gone, um, and, you know, I don't know what Aemon's, like, ultimate end game is, because we haven't spent enough time with him in this more adult form, but um, he clearly has absolutely nothing but disdain for most of his extended family yeah um pretty clear yeah he he i mean and it's rooted in a very real trauma for him you know these these kids took his eye you know he said it was a fair trade but i'm sure he would love to still have his eye it's rooted in that and i think also you know there's interesting generational dynamics now kind of really emerging on the show that the the third generation of kids is older right that like Allison and Rhaenyra were raised under Viserys's kind of, you know, poo-pooed or sort of, uh, you know, scoffed at reign of peace, if if ineffectual, you know, ness. Uh, and they are softer, you know. They had to kind of, in the earlier episodes of the season, kind of really steal themselves, train themselves into this kind of will to power, this this conniving, this scheming, all that. And of course, if they were kind of helping create that world, of course, their children who were completely marinated in it from birth. Right. Are going to be the ones, you know, there's a kind of more universal tale about like inherited, you know, be it trauma or whatever um, in, in going on in the show. Yeah, I think I think that it's exactly right that like from birth, you know, and in many ways, some of these these kids exist literally were created literally for the purpose of war. Right. 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 You know, like uh, for this war for the crown. So, yeah, of course, for some of them, at least the lesson was really going to take. And for Aemond, it seems like it has sunk all the way deep to the roots. Uh, and he's the one who is like saying to, to Allison, like, I was just saying how proud I am of my family. Uh, it seems as though my nephews aren't as proud of theirs. Uh, and there's almost a fight between Damon and Aemond. Uh, that would have been interesting to see the two of them exchange words. Um, but it does not come to that. And Allison comes to Rhaenyra, and she's the one who's trying to go, please don't leave. Don't go back to Dragonstone. We can fix this. Uh, and Rhaenyra kind of 
takes her up on that to a degree, it sounds like. She says, well, let me take my children home because I do not feel like they are safe here, but I'll come back. Uh, I will fly my dragon back and we can hang out. Uh, and Allison yeah. says, the king and I would both love that. I'll take the Delta shuttle, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I'll me. take the red eye home. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So again, still the possibility of peace at this moment, uh, at this moment in time uh, as dinner is wrapping up. There's a very quick scene of someone who was witness to all of this coming to Missaria. If we remember Missaria, we have not seen her in quite some time. Uh, Damon's lover once upon a while, who now seems to be in something of a power broker position here in, uh, in Westeros. No affiliation with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, and she uh, hears that it's been quite a night at the castle. We really get no further elaboration on this, but uh, scene's not in here without a reason, I think it's fair to say. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> I think that it feels like it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it kind of feels like it. Yeah. But so TBD on what's going to happen with Missaria. We get to the final scene of the episode uh, and it is Allison bringing uh, Viserys to bed. He is really struggling. She's trying to help him, uh, you know, get comfortable. Uh, and this is the time that Viserys responds to who he believes is Rhaenyra asking him the question from earlier about the song of ice and fire. He says, you wanted to know if I believe it to be true. Uh, Don't you remember Aegon, his dream, the song of ice and fire. It is true. What he saw in the North, the prince that was promised, the prince to unite the realm against the cold and the dark. It is you. You are the one. You must do this. You must do this. Tragically, he is conveying this information to the wrong person. Uh, he believes yeah. he is speaking to Rhaenyra, who earlier he thought was Alicent. Now it is Alicent, and she receives that information as it is conveyed to her, Richard. She walks away from this thinking, I understand my king. And it's like, all right, I guess I got to go back into the shit. Yes. And, you know, one significant thing about this, at least if, if I'm remembering correctly, is that this is secret mythology. This is. This is secret lore that is only kind of shared mm-hmm. in very privileged um, conversations within, yes. you know, the, the royal scheme. And so Allison doesn't even have any context clues for this. She's never heard Does about it. Does not seem like it. Right. You know, yeah. and so there's that kind of miscommunication. There's the obvious miscommunication of who Viserys thinks he's talking to. But there's also like he's being kind of vague in a way like she, you know, but I, I, I mean, my interpretation is that he's she's like his dying wish was that I. That actually he made it, he's undoing what he promised to Rainier, basically. Right, right. Uh, and I think not for nothing, again, about the name confusion, you know, he says, don't you remember Aegon, his dream? If she has no context for what the hell he's talking about, she doesn't know he's talking about Aegon the Conqueror, their firstborn son, who, if she has her way, is the king of Westeros following Viserys, is Aegon. Uh, so, oh, he's talking about our son. He needs to be the one. He needs to unite the realm. You must do this. You must put him on the throne. Um, so she is now sort of like imbued with what she probably takes away as like something of this holy purpose, you know, uh, right. to, to, that the high tower cause is indeed true and just, and is not just sort of like this imagined plot, but we actually have to go through with it. So, um, gosh, in his penultimate act, Richard Viserys nearly stopped a war from happening. And it seems like if this is indeed his ultimate act. And it very much reads that way to me um, that he may have uh, forced it past the point of no return. Yeah, a testament to his kind of inevitable ineptness, you know, that we saw mm-hmm. again and again uh, in his run. 
Um, but you know, if Allison had just named her son like George or something, uh-huh. this would have been avoided entirely. We would have cleared it up. It's like yeah. ever seen the movie Shattered Glass, where there's a scene yes. where Peter Sarsgaard's walking in to like have the final reckoning about the plagiarism, and the, the receptionist says pictures, and he says what? He said, pictures. If you put pictures in the magazine, none of this could have happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm like watching the show, and it's like different names. If you just named them differently, like there would this confusion would be entirely moot. Yes, uh, shattered dragon glass is, is, <laughs> right, is yeah. where we are at at this moment in time. Um, if this is Viserys's final moment, his final words, as we're sort of lingering with him in bed while he's alone, a single tear running down his cheek, he reaches up at the sky. The screen goes black, and he says, "My love." Um, so, uh, if this is it for for Viserys Targaryen, Richard, um, final words on on Patty Considine and his contributions to this show. Well, Considine succeeded admirably. Viserys attempted admirably and failed, sadly. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, by no fault of his own. He was in an adult state, obviously. And also, Alicent didn't go in there with, I think, nefarious intention, you know, and she just thought, thinks she heard what she heard, you know. And, um, but yeah, Viserys is a, a really complicated, tragic figure, uh, a little Shakespearean, a little bit more modern. Um, but, uh, yeah, well done. Not not he had a much different arc than I thought he would. So I like the, I like being surprised. Yeah, I re- what I really love about the way that this show treats Viserys Targaryen, uh, knowing what the premise of House of the Dragon is, it's going to be the succession show, right? So like clearly, like the long term view is Viserys Targaryen can't be on the throne forever. Otherwise, the show never gets to be what it's supposed to be. Um that I think, you know, you look at, at Viserys, sort of his positioning in the story in season one, very similarly to a Ned Stark. Uh, the difference being in Game of Thrones season one, you don't expect to lose Ned Stark. Uh, that's a surprise. It's a big twist. You're now trained as a person who's been through eight seasons of Game of Thrones to expect the worst to happen to these characters. So I think that the surprise for Viserys has not been like, is he going to die or not? It has felt inevitable from, you know, before the first scene of the series. You know, it has felt inevitable from the trailers, from the from the moment you hear a, a word about what the storyline is. The the surprise has been like how long he made it, how far he has he has he has come and how long he has lasted and what that longevity has meant to um, to the tensions. Like the right. fact that he has been in that position for so long has just left this, uh, you know, this sauce has been reducing uh, and it is deep and it is unctuous and we are potentially ready to drink from it as we move forward into the penultimate episode of House of the Dragon next week, Richard, titled The Green Council. Oh, OK. So, Allison, big episode for her, I'm, I'm predicting or for Otto. Hightower Green. Yep. Maybe we'll go Hightower to Old Town. Green. Who knows? That'd be fun. Um, I think that's going to do it for us here on Still Watching this week. Unless you have any parting thoughts about the Lord of the Tides, Richard, I thought another really great episode of the show. A great episode of the show. I think just to your last kind of point, like you do think if he had just collapsed when these people were all children, if Viserys had just died then and these grandkids weren't yet men grown who are capable of great violence, maybe this would have been an easier, if still difficult transition. But now, like great that he lasted this long, but I think it's exacerbated the, the situation. We'll see how the situation unravels next week when we get into the Green Council. We would love to hear from all of you out there if you've got thoughts on The Lord of the Tides and how it is setting us up for these final two episodes of season one of House of the Dragon. 
stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. That is the way to send in your feedback, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Richard, where can people find you? What do you got going on here on Vanity Fair? Uh, I'm at, on Twitter at Rylaws and just the usual reviews and whatnot on VF.com. Amazing. I'm at Round Howard. Wherever you can find me, I am recapping House of the Dragon here on VF.com every single week, including next week when we return to discuss Episode 9, The Green Council. Huge shout out to the great Dave Gonzalez for making this podcast possible this week. Until next time, everybody, we will be back soon to discuss Episode 9 of House of the Dragon. Take care. Bye-bye. 